Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken will join us to discuss the Ottawa protest. We'll tell you why disability advocates are applauding a recent Ontario government decision. How's your retirement planning going? We recap Sunday's Super Bowl and the Electric Halftime Show. And another big match is on the way for Hamilton's Forge FC. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I feel like I'm living in a different country, like I'm in the States. Uh, it just makes me really sad to see all these people can- waving Canadian flags, um, acting like patriots when really it's kind of the most sad and um, embarrassing thing I've ever seen. So, yeah. That's all I have to say. They, they need to go home. That is one of many disgruntled voices in our nation's capital as the protest in Parliament Hill continues for what this will be, what, week three? Three weekends now and uh, entering our third week of the uh, blockade uh, at uh, Parliament Hill. A lot of disruption in the capital. Uh, in a busy weekend, not only in Ottawa, but across the country, as authorities tried to deal with protesters who have been blockading borders and uh, remaining at Parliament Hill. Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken joins us now from the nation's capital. Good morning, David. Morning. It's uh, Yeah, it's been a busy weekend, going to be a, another busy day. But the good news is I just checked with the uh, CBSA, our border services folks, commercial travel, no delay at every border crossing, any in the Niagara region, as well as down at the at the uh, Ambassador Bridge in Windsor. No delay right now. Two border crossings remain closed to commercial traffic. That's the one in Coots, Alberta, and one in Emerson, Manitoba. So we still have two borders that are being blocked, border crossings being blockaded. Uh, but as you know, it's that Ambassador Bridge where uh, just so much, uh, so much of the you know, the, the commercial and manufacturing blood that powers much of southwestern Ontario comes in. It's a major artery, and uh, it was vital to have that open, and uh, this morning it is. Yeah, and that's uh, some great news in Global Sean O'Shea with some amazing reporting uh, over the weekend and over the last week at the Ambassador Bridge. Where do we stand in Ottawa? In Ottawa, not much movement right now. Well, you know, there are lots of meetings in, in that sense. Uh, I'm 14 floors up looking right over Parliament Hill right now, the East Block, the National War Memorial. Bitterly cold morning up here, minus 24. Not a lot of people on the streets because of that, but there still are lots of vehicles. Fewer than there were on Friday, but there's still lots of vehicles, um, and, and they remain here. Um, and there is uh, some growing frustration with the residents uh, in Ottawa that the Ottawa Police Service has not sort of uh, taken much action. Um, probably one of the big news is, one of the b- bits of big news yesterday was that the mayor, Jim Watson, reached out to negotiate with one of the protest organizers, a woman named Tamara Leach. And they apparently have reached an agreement in which the protest organizers will try to reconfigure the convoy's footprint to move trucks away from residential areas. We'll see. We're not sure that um, Tamara Leach is, is, you know, she's certainly associated with a certain number of trucks, but will they respond to what she would like to have done? We don't know. Um, and many people are saying that you just can't negotiate with people who essentially call for the overthrow of the government. But Watson's saying it's his job as the mayor of the town. Uh, he wants to try and protect residents. And so uh, uh, there, there may be some movement on that today. That's something we're going to be watching for. That's going to be very interesting to see what comes of that. Let's stay in the capital. Over the weekend, we saw the first group of counter-protesters. What should we take away from that? Yeah, the, the, and, uh, as I mentioned, the residents here in Ottawa are just so frustrated with what they believe is complete inaction by the Ottawa Police Service. I mean, it's three weeks in, and residents have, and when I say residents, this is residents being led by 
municipal councilors, uh, provincial politicians, some federal politicians saying, where are the Ottawa police? So yesterday, several thousand sort of uh, got together uh, in a counter protest and in some cases confronted some of the protesters surrounding some protest vehicles, some some pickup trucks, essentially, and uh, and turned them away or got them to leave. And one of the things that I think was interesting was some of these protesters being confronted by several thousand counter-protesters were shocked because they're li- the protesters are living in their own bubble. They, they only listen to their own media, uh, their own, uh, so- their own uh, you know, uh, channels of communication, and they think that they're being seen as liberating heroes in Ottawa. Not true. Not at all, in fact. Uh, the town really wants them to leave. There's a major mall just right, right off Parliament Hill called the Rideau Centre. It's the sixth largest mall in the country. And it's been closed for two weeks. It's going to remain closed indefinitely because the uh, the the shops there, 180 shops, cannot guarantee the safety of employees. And uh, you know this is part of the economic damage that this occupation's having. And so that's where, as I say, these counter protesters counter protesters have said enough's enough, and they want the Ottawa police to uh, be more aggressive in enforcement. We have a couple more minutes with David Aiken, chief political correspondent for Global News, chatting about uh, the uh, blockading borders and uh, the uh, protest at Parliament Hill. One of the things we've seen is uh, uniformed military personnel, uniformed police uh, voicing support for these protesters. What kind of reaction are you hearing to that? Yeah, this has got um, uh, senior military leaders and senior police leaders uh, very concerned that uh, people in uniform with guns on are uh, challenging the authority of the civilian, their civilian leadership. And that's not the way it works in Canada, of course. We have two uh, special forces members who are under investigation now by uh, military police. Uh, we're told that uh, these special forces, forces members, there's two of them, they were in the process of being discharged because they refused to be vaccinated. So they're, they're on their way out of the force in any event. But there were some other uh, army members who took to YouTube in full uniform um, to essentially talk about uh, living in a state of tyranny. And again, that's just a no-go zone for uh, any serving member. And there are some investigations underway uh, of those folks. There's one out in Fredericton and another individual in Vancouver. Then there was some also some social media posts of some police officers, one of them an OPP officer, essentially saying, we side with you guys, we're with you 100%. And that has got people here in Ottawa, certainly who all are already suspicious that the police are not lifting a hand because they side with the protesters. This just seems to seal that deal. OPP is investigating in the one instance again. You know, uh, as I've said, there's uh, there's lots of people in, in our parliament right now who once wore a uniform, police or army, but they did the right thing. They, they put the badge down, they put the gun down, they took off the uniform, they put the name on a ballot. That's how you challenge the civil authority. You don't do it by standing in front of a camera with your uniform on and your gun in your holster. Well put, David. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, Great coverage, as always, from the Hill and beyond, and uh, have a great one. Okay, thanks, guys. Cheers. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent, Global News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Disability advocates are applauding the Ontario government's decision to extend the renewal deadline for health cards. What's going on here? Well, let's ask our next guest. David Lepofsky is the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance and a visiting professor at Osgoode Hall Law School and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, David. Good morning. Uh, We heard recently that the Ministry of Health is extending the deadline to renew health cards. It was originally February 28th. It's been pushed back to September 30th. Why is this important? Uh, 
well, they don't, didn't do it because they wanted to do it. They did it because I sued them, and they were going to be on the verge of having to be scheduling an urgent court application where they had to defend the indefensible. Here's what the problem is. At the start of the pandemic, the government understandably and wisely declared that you didn't have to renew your health card if it expired, and you could continue getting health care services because they... They didn't want people going into Service Ontario and unnecessarily risking spreading the virus. That made sense. But last September, they announced that grace period would end this at the end of February uh, 2022. Here's the thing. You can renew your health card online. That's good, because then you could avoid going into Service Ontario. But you can only do it if you have a driver's license. Rick, I'm totally blind. I can't get a driver's license for some reason. This is just pure disability discrimination and the government had been warned about this for two years by the cnib that they they needed to enable people to renew their health card online using their official government photo id that's a card that people like me that anyone can get if they don't have a driver's license and it's as good identification as a driver's license so why would the government require a photo ID, uh, pardon me, require a driver's license to renew your health card online, but not accept the government's own photo ID card as a substitute. It made no sense. We and others asked them to to fix that. They didn't. Uh, I, we asked them to lift the February 28th uh, deadline for renewing your health card so that people who don't have a driver's license didn't have to go to Service Ontario. Well, they kept dragging their feet, so a couple of weeks ago, I sued them. I filed a court application, and it was only in the face of that court application that the government said they've now seen the light. They extended the deadline to renew your health card. You don't have to renew your health card till uh, September 30th, and they've announced that they will set up a system to enable people to renew their health card online, even if they don't have a driver's license. So long as they have an official government photo ID card. David, what was the government's argument all along for continuing to drag their feet? Uh, you're assuming they had an argument. <laughs> the answer is, the answer is they didn't. This was just poor leadership by the Ford government. And as has happened so many times during this pandemic, a very disturbing disregard of the urgent needs of people with disabilities during the pandemic. This is a recurring pattern with the government, and we've been trying over and over both to point out what the problems are and to ask the government to help us out. But Premier Ford, I mean, throughout this, his entire term in office won't even meet with us. And in this case, we did get a chance. This is kind of an exceptional situation where we did get to meet with senior government officials, uh, but and we did explain everything I just told you with a ton more detail, and yet the government, uh, they, they all, uh, they kept dragging their feet. The day before I filed my court applications, the first time they said, get a load of this, they said, okay, we'll allow people to keep using their health cards, even if expired after uh, February 28th. But we won't tell the public that. We'll tell doctors, but we won't tell the public. And I said, that's ridiculous. How are they supposed to do it if they don't know they're allowed to? So I had to file the court application, and it was only 
uh, on the verge of having to go to court and uh, and set an urgent date for the case to be heard that the court uh, saw the light and and said they'd fix it. Got about a minute. This also impacted seniors, uh, the marginalized community, those that don't have access to the internet. I mean, there's a this is a big group of people. It, it is. No, it's not a complete solution, and we've. We've notified the government that there is another part of this fix that still needs to be made, and they've got till September 30th they can they can fix it. And that is, some of the people listening to us don't have have a driver's license and they don't have a government photo ID card. And the government should come up with some way to enable as many of them as possible to be able to renew their health card remotely, maybe over the phone or some kind of step to reduce the need to go into service Ontario. Uh, it's, it's the sensible way to proceed, especially while this pandemic is raging. Well said, David. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for covering this. That is David Lepofsky. He's the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disability Act Alliance and a visiting professor at Osgoode Hall Law School. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new study out from IG uh, Private Wealth Management that shows that uh, RRSPs remain popular, but... There's a clear need for Canadians to develop a more robust approach to planning for their retirement years. Don Fox from IG Private Wealth Management joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Don, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Very good. Yourself? Not too bad. Hey, before we get to retirement planning, I know you're a big football fan. What did you think of the Super Bowl? Oh, it was an outstanding game. It, uh, I think it had everybody a little surprised for the football fans that Cincinnati was keeping it so close. And then uh, they pretty much almost came to winning it. But uh, Rams pulled it out. So, yeah, quite a game. So there is uh, some hope for your new Washington Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hope, I guess, for every team in the NFL, but that's about it. Right now, we are tied for first place. <laughs> there you go. Uh, IG Private Wealth Management uh, released an interesting study on Canadians and retirement planning habits. Well, what's your biggest takeaway from those who are saving for retirement? And you're, you're looking at this study thinking, okay, that, that's right, and that, maybe that's a little surprising. What's your biggest takeaway? Well, really, it's just starting a plan of some sort, like doing it. It's, uh, you know, right now, it's amazing. Still, only 40, 48% of Canadians have a plan at all. And the, the one that really is alarming is between ages 55 and 64. So you're getting close to retirement. And it's, uh, it's still only 43% of Canadians have a financial plan at that age group. Hmm. So, you know, and our RSPs are part of the puzzle but they're not the whole piece. There's also so many things that go into a plan. And it's, you know, it starts with, you know, putting down the goals of what you're trying to accomplish and in your retirement, what age, et cetera. But then there's cash flow analysis and you look at where you currently are, come up with a plan, and then it's updating it, review and fine tuning it. And I kept looking at the, uh, the coaches with their clipboards yesterday. And that's kind of like a financial planner. They're sitting there and they're looking at, what's going on with the person in terms of their their accomplishments and trying to get towards their goals of financial planning and retirement planning and they're constantly making adjustments and that's that whether it's football whether it's a financial planner whether whatever expertise you are it's always changing there has been over the last uh, couple of years at least maybe even longer than that you would know more than i uh of these you know do it yourself kind of i don't want to mention the companies but you see the commercials all the time uh hey you know j- ditch your financial planner and just do it the easy way online there's a benefit to having a financial planner though 
Yes. You know what? And there's always going to be that do-it-yourselfer sector. And good for them. If they want to continue to do the research and, 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 you know, having a certified financial planner by your side, and that's the designation of a financial planner. If you don't have a CFP, um, as, as somebody working with you, I'd suggest you might want to look at uh, having a second opinion because I think that's that's a starting point. But you know what? Um, you know, if there's if they want to go through the effort and constantly make those adjustments, that's great. It, I find it not a big deal, uh, and I think the uh, younger generation, the ones just starting to accumulate money, that's a great service to have. But now, when you're talking about your life savings and you're getting into the kind of the you know the boomers of the world right now that are, I guess the uh, the, old, the the youngest boomers are are now 58 years old, so they are now right in the wheelhouse. And though the X generations are also looking at retirement, I think it's a huge service to have somebody make sure you don't make the big mistake, and that can be detrimental to your 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 life really because you know what you spend about a third of your life in retirement, and you got that working years to make sure you do a good job to build it up to that point, and then after that. You want to make sure you're you're doing the right things every year after you retire too. So no, it's a it's a great um a, a great service to have. I think the having the kind of the less expensive option is great. But again, it all depends on your expertise. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin in discussion with Don Fox of IG Private Wealth Management. Uh, we're talking about a new study from IG Private Wealth Management that shows that RRSPs remain popular, but there's a clear need for Canadians to develop a more robust uh, retirement plan. Um, Bitcoin has become more and more popular as an investment. Are, are more people bringing that up when they're meeting with you? Yeah, they actually are, actually, uh, Rick. It's... Um you know, you can't help it. You, you, even the commercials during the Super Bowl, there's Bitcoin was in there, and and Wealth Simple is is selling it, and it's it's making front page news everywhere. It's just the whole cryptocurrency, and and you know, I think El Salvador is now used as official currency. I wouldn't be surprised if others kind of take it aboard. So it's a, it's part of it. it you got to remember it's a currency, and you're speculating on which way is that currency going to go? Is it going to go up or down? And I guess to a certain extent, it's you know no difference in which way is the Japanese yen or the U.S. dollar going to go, but is it, it is in its infancy, so you're seeing dramatic ups and downs. And it wasn't long ago; it was sixty-four thousand U.S. and now it's forty-three thousand U.S. approximately. So you know, how would you like to have <laughs> your your assets drop by a third? So you got to have the stomach for it at the same time. Uh, one uh, item in the study, uh, which I found interesting, only 57% of married or common law, law couples have discussed their retirement plans with each other, which seems kind of low, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I can't agree with you further on that one, because, you know, when we're sitting down with a, a client, when, I, when we talk about clients, we're talking about a married couple. And, and it's important for both of them to sit in on the meeting. Because you really should, the right hand should know what the left hand is doing and vice versa. It's, it's a group effort to make sure they get to the retirement objectives, which is, again, um, it's kind of funny. It's getting to that retirement date. And just because you get to that date, that's just a starting point. Now you've got another life ahead of you of the transition to, okay, I'm no longer working. I no longer have a paycheck, but I'm now getting a retirement paycheck from my you know, the institution you're dealing with, whether it's, you know, IG or, or a bank or Wealth Simple or what have you. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to it. And I, I can't see how you can't work together on this. Absolutely. Don, we got to run. Really appreciate your time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. 
Yes, you have a great day too, Rick. That is Don Fox, uh, financial planner with IG Private Wealth Management, joining us here to talk about the latest study from IG Private Wealth on uh, retirement planning. If you don't have a plan, well, get to work. Call Don and his team and they'll uh, help you out. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Fantastic halftime show. Really exciting. Super Bowl as the Rams took down the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 to in SB 56 last night in Los Angeles. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Joining us now to talk about the game is Sean Fitzgerald. He's the managing editor, feature writer with The Athletic. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, certainly not the best Super Bowl of all time last night, but it, it had an exciting ending. What are some of your biggest takeaways from last night's action on the field? Yeah, if I was a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals, I'd start to think I was cursed. Uh, I mean, they've lost some pretty tight ones, some some famous ones, um, and, and that's a franchise and a fan base that's been suffering for a long, long time. Whereas, I mean, the Rams, they've barely set foot in Los Angeles after relocating from St. Louis. Uh, they have what is arguably the best football stadium in North America and you know they go out and they pick up Matthew Stafford and bada bing bada boom your Super Bowl champion so I do sort of this morning start to feel bad for some of the Bengals fans they've certainly put in the time um, but that being said I mean there's lots of good stories on the Los Angeles side as well. Well let's focus on the Rams because you mentioned uh, quarterback Matthew Stafford who languished for years in football's black hole aka the Detroit Lions got Talking the job. long suffering <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> got the job done when it mattered most last night and is finally a Super Bowl champion. It's a, it's a really cool story. Yeah, and he got hurt. He got banged up, and he also lost uh, Odell Beckham, uh, the, the, the superstar wide receiver. I guess he's maybe been downgraded to star recently with a bit of age and injury, but uh, still an incredibly important weapon on that Los Angeles Rams offense. Went down with an injury and had to watch you know, the final stretch from the sidelines um, agonizing couple minutes on the sidelines as well um but yeah no uh, he found a way down the stretch they had a long you know 15 play drive in the fourth quarter to score the winning touchdown where it seemed like Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup the the all pro receiver uh, were the only two players on the field yeah, that's phenomenal. Once uh, Odell Beckham Jr. went down, the Rams, who really did not have a run game last night, were forced to rely on Cup, who made some phenomenal plays down the stretch. Um, the Rams went all in. That's safe to say. You know, they, they traded uh, a boatload of uh, prospects, uh, their uh, uh, past starting quarterback, Jared Goff, to the Lions in the Stafford trade. They um, acquired OBJ during the season, Vaughn Miller, another in-season acquisition. Could this aggressive approach be something that other NFL teams copy if they are close to that uh, you know Vince Lombardi trophy I mean I think teams have been trying it's just you know with salary cap issues with everything like that I mean yeah would you love to go out and get Vaughn Miller and go out and get Odell Beckham Jr. and go out and get a bunch of stars absolutely um, I mean that doesn't also I mean there's, there's also a recent history where you know that doesn't work where um, you get stars on the the other side of their career I'm thinking you know maybe Odell is, is a bit on the older side with a bit of an injury issue um, that has sort of blown up in the faces of teams before, um, you know, and then they've been caught in some salary cap issues. But yeah, I mean, what Los Angeles did um, was just, you know, was just incredible this year. Uh, I mean, they started off hot. They, they, they kept trucking and yeah, here they are. 
Sean Fitzgerald is our guest, managing editor, feature writer with The Athletic. We're talking about last night's Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles as the Rams beat the Bengals 23-20 to to win their first Super Bowl championship in 22 years. Uh, Cooper Cup, uh, Super Bowl MVP, he was absolutely phenomenal in that last drive to win the game for the Rams. What more can you say about Cooper Cup? Yeah, I mean, he's just a guy who just he found a way to get open. Uh, Cincinnati was running kind of a zone defense down the stretch uh, for that last drive, which seemed to, if you're a Cincinnati fan, it felt like it must have taken 30 years to complete. Um, but he just kept finding holes in that defense. And again, as you mentioned, that defense was one that, you know, wouldn't allow Los Angeles any ground at all in the running game. Um, you know, you're down Odell Beckham Jr. Matthew Stafford is injured. Um, but yeah, you have Cooper Cup finding seams, finding openings and making every important catch, uh, taking massive hits, um, getting up and, you know, continuing. So yeah, he was full marks the MVP last night and, and had been obviously one of the most important players in Los Angeles this season. Yeah, he won the receiving triple crown in the NFL this year. Uh, first receiver since Julian Edelman four years ago to win MVP honors at the Super Bowl. Let's talk a little bit about Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. Uh, suffered a, uh, a, a gruesome knee injury last year, missed most of the season, comes back this year, was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, but somehow he and the Bengals find themselves in the Super Bowl. What a phenomenal year for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, last year he had that knee that was essentially blown apart and had to be surgically reconstructed because he was playing behind an offensive line that was, well, it was you and me at left guard and right guard and then a a couple of pros, you know, scattered around elsewhere. There was just no protection for him. And again, you know, last night you saw that and, you know, he got injured again in the fourth quarter with a knee injury, but it was his other knee, not the surgically repaired one. But, you know, did that affect his mobility down the stretch, um, you know, leading to the punt that then, you know, the that led to the Los Angeles drive, the, the really long one where they started, you know, inside their 25 and drove all the way down. Um, did his mobility issue after that injury sort of, you know, constrict the playbook that Cincinnati had to work with? Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe that'll come out that, you know, he did have a bit of an injury and couldn't run, but yeah, I mean, what, what the Bengals have moving forward is, is the chance to potentially get back to this stage. They have, you know, Joe Burrow, they have Joe Mixon, they have, uh, Jamar Chase. Um, they have a lot of dynamic weapons. Um, the challenge is, is, you know, once you get here, not everybody's the Buffalo Bills of the 90s where you can expect to get back there four times in a row. Um, you know, some teams never recover from something like this. Yeah, it's really hard to do so. Sean, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for chiming in on the Super Bowl and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me. That is Sean Fitzgerald, managing editor, feature writer with The Athletic. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What a show it was. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, a cameo by 50 Cent, action-packed, star-studded, fantastic stage, and a wonderful show top to bottom. Eric Alper is a publicist and music commentator and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. You? I'm good. Good Good concert, good game all around. I I I think so. I'm you know I'm using one word to describe the halftime show, and that is wow. What did you think? <laughs> yeah, you know this was probably the first year that I've watched that I really didn't have to look up on Wikipedia who any of the performers were, and also who was in the commercials as well. It was like, hey, I know that person. I know that one. You, you know, it seemed like the only kind of controversy was a misguided report earlier um, in the in the third quarter where there was a very 
Republican-leaning media outlet that said that the NFL was super angry that Eminem had taken a knee at the end of the performance, but the NFL spokesperson came out and said, we have no issue with that. We knew that was going to go on. We have watched the show multiple times. So the only massive controversy of Eminem taking a knee wasn't even back, um, you know, really... A controversy at all. It mm-hmm. was just, I think, a little bit of a misguided report or somebody looking for clicks. But overall, you know, uh, having Dr. Dre control the halftime show in Los Angeles, right down the street from Compton, bringing his friends of Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and 50 Cent and Kendrick Lamar. And then Anderson Pack on drums. Um, that's the story of American music right there. I mean, a lot of people would claim that, of course, jazz and R&B is. But for a lot of the segment of the population, um, rap music is the story of what is going on now. And it made absolute sense that uh, that Dre got to kind of lead up and have rap in the spotlight for the very first time. I mean, there had been rappers before, Mary J. Blige. Uh, had performed on the Super Bowl basically 20 years to the day, but that was with Aerosmith. So they've had rap music as part of that show, but never full force like this before. And it was great. Uh, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm saying that Mary J. Blige stole the show last night, and not only in her performance, but the outfit, the energy she brought. She's my top performer in the halftime show. Who impressed you the most? She was amazing, but she's always amazing. Um, I, I love Kendrick Lamar. Um, virtually I, I think the his last two albums um especially with damn his latest one um that's the album that was the first non-jazz or classical album to be recognized um by uh just so many prestigious awards around the world um including the nobel prize for music um I, just i think the fact that that the recent history of of death row continuing to be in the spotlight death row records um snoop dogg actually just bought the label um about a week ago so he now owns the recordings of dr dre and snoop dogg and tupac among others um and just the fact of so many enduring hits with mary J doing family affair and no more drama um 50 cent in the club i mean that song was just so omnipresent everywhere when that song came out and at the end when dre um performed on the piano he did a little snippet of a two-pack song so it seems like everybody was recognized in the last you know 25 30 years worth of death row records which um i i think was was great Eric Halper is our guest, publicist, music commentator. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about Sunday's Super Bowl halftime show. You'll get your thoughts on it in 10 minutes' time when we open up the phones at 905-645-3221, star 9900. We'll talk about the game and the halftime show. There was a number of Super Bowl prop bets that included proposed cameo appearances by the likes of Ice Cube or a hologram of Tupac Shakur. Neither of those happened, but we did see... 50 cent which was a surprise and i thought he hit it out of the park as well yeah you know um i i wish i wish i would have known that because i wouldn't have bet a million dollars on on those things <laughs> uh so i guess i got to go back to work today um yeah it's it's hard to keep a secret um in the music industry in the entertainment industry where everybody is looking for a 
social media posts to go viral. It's amazing that anything can be kept a secret. Um, but having uh, having Kendrick Lamar there, um, obviously he wasn't in the photographs and in the the graphics leading up to the event. Um, Fifty Cent, I thought was great for a minute there. I, I you know. I had no idea who it was. It was like, oh, I know that, like, I know this song. Is that, is that really him? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, w- w- what I loved was just having that live band. It was, and I, and I think it was, you know, there, there's just something about this attitude that rap music isn't real music, that it's only played with computers and everything is all, is all used for sampling. But I think a group like the roots being the house band on Jimmy Fallon's, Tonight show opened up a lot of doors for the mixture of rap and R&B and pop music all blending together and Dre choosing to have a live band with a horn section and Anderson Pack on drums and Anderson Pack might not be known separately, but he is one half of the duo with Bruno Mars um, uh, Silk uh, uh, and the ability for them to continue to have hits having one foot in the past of a throwback of like, Hey, this is, this is a, a real great R and B band. Like we know that James Brown can put together um, or that Bruno Mars can put together. Uh, I, I thought it was amazing. And the fact that they kept both those names a secret is, is pretty, it's pretty astounding considering that everybody's got their phones and willing to, you know, happily leak out information whenever they want. Got a minute left with uh, music commentator Eric Alper as we discuss the Super Bowl halftime show. There were no dancing sharks. There wasn't a wardrobe <laughs> malfunction last night, but the stage was one of the most creative that I've ever seen during a Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, the uh, stage was set up to to kind of look like like Compton. Actually, it took them seven minutes for them to set up the halftime show and seven minutes to take down, starting from the moment that the second quarter ends. The setup for the epic halftime show begins. The building were rolled onto the field in halves before coming together to replicate the houses on one side and the hot spots of the city of Compton on the other. You saw the MLK Monument. You saw the Compton City Hall. Tam's Burgers, which is a local hangout that is really known in Compton for just a hangout of local musicians and uh, and gangs, really. Um, that was shown. Um, but the fact that they opened it up with Dr. Dre behind the pseudo fake studio setup gave no uh, gave no mistake that it was Dre behind the scenes. It was Dre is the one that's pulling all the strings. He is the wizard in the Wizard of Oz. And it looked really great for, for you know. Seven minutes? I, I can't even start my car properly and get it warm in seven minutes. <laughs> I have no idea how they did this. Yeah. Great show. Great conversation. Eric, appreciate the time today. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. We'll talk soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton's Forge FC is going to host Mexico's Cruz Azul at Tim Morton's Field on Wednesday night. It is the first leg in their round of 16 CONCACAF Champions League match. Bobby Smirdionis is the head coach of Forge FC and joins us now. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Rick. How's everything? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while since the CPL season ended. How excited are you and the guys to finally getting back onto the pitch? Yeah, we're enjoying it. You know, it's uh, been absolutely brilliant just getting out there and, uh, you know, being out there in this nice brisk cold. 
is uh, something good uh, good for us and uh, <laughs> keeps us sh- sharp in preparation for Wednesday. Well, speaking of the weather, Wednesday night is going to be um, somewhat cold. It's going to be about one or two degrees at round kickoff. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be windy. Both teams are going to play in these same conditions, but do you get the sense that your team is going to have an advantage? Yeah, I think you always look to see what type of advantages you can get uh, off the field in different conditions. And obviously for uh, for Cruz Azul, this is a game on an artificial turf surface, which is different. Uh, the colder, the better, as I say. I think, you know, that makes it a little bit more uncomfortable for what is a, a very good team that's coming in here to Hamilton to play. So, you know, we'll take a little bit of all of those advantages that uh, we're used to on a, on a daily basis. This is the first time that Forge FC will play Cruz Azul. What challenges do they present? Yeah, they're a massive club on, uh, on the continental stage. When you look at Liga Max, uh, the league in, uh, in Mexico, they're traditionally one of the, the top teams there with, uh, with a massive uh, budget and, uh, and star players that play on the Mexico national team, a lot of foreign players. Um, but it's nothing that, uh, that we're not looking, uh, looking past. We've had good challenges in the past in CONCACAF League. This will be our biggest one now, stepping up to the largest competition in the, in the continental stage with Champions League. So the guys are looking forward to it. As I mentioned, this is the first leg of the round of 16 CONCACAF Champions League match. The second leg goes in Azteca Stadium. What makes that venue one of the toughest places to play? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's just it's one of the shrines of, uh, of football stadiums across the world. Just just well known for great moments in football. Hosted uh, two World Cup uh, finals in uh, in 1970 and uh, 1986. And then when you just look at the elements of it, you're playing at over 2,000 meters of uh, sea level, and the altitude makes it a, a different different place. Um, so those are the little things off the field. Uh, the same way we want it a little bit colder here for them. The altitude is a little bit of an advantage going into the Azteca for Cruz Azul. Forge FC has been the most successful CPL team, uh, both domestically and internationally. What would a win at this stage of the CONCACAF Champions League uh, mean to this franchise and the Canadian Premier League as well? I think I've talked over the past that we've had some magical nights here at Tim Hortons Field, and uh, and this one will top everything. You know, this is uh, the largest club by by stature and everything that uh, that we face to date in the in the best competition you could be competing in on the continental stage. So I think you know that's the exciting moment that we have ahead of us on Wednesday, and and we look forward to getting as uh, as many of our our fans, supporters, and general supporters of the game out at the Morton's Field. Should be a great match, Bobby. Good luck, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you very much, Rick. Bobby Smirniones, head coach, Forge FC. If you want to go to the game, you can get your tickets online, forgefc.canpl.ca. Just uh, click on the tickets section of the website, and uh, you'll have a great time at Tim Hortons Field on Wednesday night as it's Forge and Cruz Azul, one of the top teams in the Mexican League, battling out for, well, another uh, big foothold in the CONCACAF Champions League action. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.